So today, as you can see on the screen, we are in a series entitled Happily Ever After, okay? So how many of you were here last week? Just a quick show of hands. How many of you were here last week? Okay, a lot of you were here. Some of you missed last week. Today we're in part two of this message series, and so let me kind of uh, give you a, a snapshot in the next few moments of what happened last week, but listen, I can't give you all of the information, and last week was really it was, it was pretty foundational to what we're going to be unpacking on the next few weeks together as we talk about our most intimate of relationships, right? And so I would encourage you to do this. If you've missed last week, uh, go online. We, we cut off the audio portion of the worship. We just stick up a high-quality sermon video. You can find that on Facebook. You can find that on YouTube, your choice. But go and connect with that. It's going to help you a lot for this series as we set up the foundation of what is happening inside of our marriage relationships, okay? And so if you missed last week, make sure that you, you're able to do that. And then let me also say this. While we are talking about the subject of marriage, what we're talking about really applies to all relationships. In fact, I had conversations, I had feedback with many of you who are not married, and I was a little bit apologetic in my conversation. Listen, I know that we're talking about relationships, but you encouraged me by saying, listen, this applied to so many of relationships. In fact, when I got home, I called my mama, or I sent them the video, and we had these conversations. And so if you are single, or if you're engaged and you're headed to be married, or you've been married a year or 25 years. Last week we learned that Dave and Carol had been married for 41 years. Yeah. And so we value the marriage relationship. We value the marriage relationship. And so we're going to talk about it. We are talking about it over the next few weeks together. And so let me just kind of set this up for a little bit and talk about where we left off, give you a little bit of recap, and then we're going to dive into some stuff today. I'm telling you, just get ready. There's some, there's some tension about some of the stuff that we're going to talk about today, okay? And so let's dive in. Let's recap a little bit. See, every one of us come into a relationship, and we have this vision. We have something inside of our heart of what it's going to be like, what we hope it would be like. In fact, what it could be, what it should be, and what we want it to be. We all have this inside of us, and so we, we have these hopes, and we have these dreams, and we have these desires about what that relationship would look like. And if you were here last week, man, we really use this as a great illustration. I want you to see the whole of what this means, but today I'm going to quickly reference it, that we all have a box. I have a box, and you have a box. You all have a box that you carry into your relationships, and it's full of things that are about your hopes and your dreams and your desires. And so you may have hopes and dreams and desires about when you go into your relationship about, you know, what kind of house that you're going to live in or, you know, uh, about your piggy bank, about how much money you're going to have in the bank and whether, you know, we're going to be rolling in the dough or whether we're going to be living on love, right? What is it going to require for you and your family? You have hopes and dreams and desires about those things. You, you have hopes and dreams about, you know, the Clorox, who's going to handle the chores in the household, right? Who's going to do those things? Maybe you had hopes and dreams about, you know, babies. One day we're going to have a baby, or maybe we're going to have more than one baby in the house, or, uh, or how about this one? Who gets to be Batman, right? You had to be here last week. This is an inside joke, okay? This will help you out. Who gets to be Batman inside of the relationship? Or maybe, maybe, fellas, like you were like me, like you went into the relationship and you had hopes, dreams, and you had some desires 
about what it would look like around the bedroom, right? And so instead of like the sweatshirts that are starting to show out, you went in this and you had hopes, dreams, and desires that were a little bit Victoria's Secret oriented, right? And so we go into these relationships. We all carry a box. I have a box. You have a box. When I got married, my wife had a box. And guess who else has a box? The person that you said, I do too as well. They also have a box in our hopes and our dreams and desires. And you know what the challenge of this box is? And here's the challenge. Is this is about me. It's all about me, right? I mean, these are my hopes. These are my dreams. These are my desires. And so what I do is I actually build my life, my vision for what life will look like around me. I build it around me. And so I carry this into the relationship. In fact, let me just kind of give you an analogy. Like, so when I was single, right? So when I was single, I never envisioned, I never daydreamed about one day I'm going to become or be the perfect someone or perfect for someone. That's not what I daydreamed about. And you didn't daydream about that either. You daydreamed about the idea that one day you would find someone who was perfect for you, perfect for me. And that's how we go into the relationship. It's not like let me become the perfect someone. It's about who I'm going to find. I have hopes and dreams and desires about what that person is going to be like and how they're going to make me feel and how this relationship's going to go. And we all have that box. And so let me, uh, fellas, okay, so I had to apologize to you last week, and, I, and I, I rolled my wife under the bus, and I said, she made me do this, right? She's making me talk about this stuff. Not really. But so over the next few minutes, I'm going to be a little bit, you're probably going to want to take my man card, okay, all right? Ladies, you're probably going to get, in fact, I'm going to give you an opportunity. Help me out. Don't embarrass me. You're going to get to go, oh, how romantic, okay, right? I'm, I'm, I'm kind of priming this a little bit. Be ready. Don't leave me hanging, okay? So before I got married, right, years before I got married, some five or six years before I got married, I had hopes and dreams and desires in my heart of what married life would be like. In fact, I was so stirred by those hopes and those dreams and desires. You know what I started doing? I started writing love letters to my future wife. And I can't believe I'm telling you fellas this, okay? See, you make me feel good about myself. Fellas, you, you keep the mouth closed for a few minutes, okay? Okay, I, here, it's actually in my wallet, bro. You can... So this is the journal, right? And so before I got married, long before I got married, I broke out my pen and I started writing love letters to my future wife, okay? And so I, I don't want to embarrass her. This is more about me and this. Let me just, I'm just going to read you a very brief excerpt, okay? And fellas, I warned you, okay? Here we go. So this is to my future wife. This is March 8th, 2011. We got married in 2006, right? I had to double check my date, right? I, wait, 2001. Okay. <laughs> All right, all right. Thanks for helping me out. See, I'm just testing you guys. You're with me this morning. All right, there you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh, how romantic, right? So here's, here's what I was saying, okay? It says, I have a burning desire in my heart that consumes my entire being. This is mushy, okay, right? Inside of me is a love that has been storing up for quite some time. I had been ringing, reading the song of, of Solomon, right? And so it says, it seems like I can no longer contain it or I'm going to burst, right? As of right now, March 8th, 2001, as of right now, I don't even know who you are yet, but I can just envision what our life is going to be like one day. 
Here's what I say, okay? At this time, God is preparing me. He's teaching me the responsibilities of being a man. He's allowing me to see what it means to love, respect, and honor a woman. He's even teaching me the role of a father. And I believe that God is also preparing you at the same time. And one day, when we're both ready, we're going to get to have happily ever after, okay? So let me just give you another quick snapshot, and then I'll close it. And, and for the next few minutes, I won't go all mushy on you, okay? All right, here we go. My commitments to youth. This is still before I got married. I'm now thinking about that time when I do get married. And, man, there's, there's a lot of them on here, right? There, there are a lot of them. And uh, some of them, I come up a little bit short now that we're 11 years in. I realize that. Uh, expectations came up to play. So here's, here's a few of them. I long and promise to share my dreams and ambitions with you. Be a loving father of your children, compliment you daily, protect you with my life, sing you love songs, although I cannot sing. And those who stand to me on the, uh, next to me on the front row say, amen, brother. You know? Whoa, come on, you're my mother. If your mama's saying amen, you got it bad. I will pray for you daily, right? Okay, so fellas, I do apologize that you had to endure that. And ladies, let me give you one more opportunity, okay? This is your cue right here. Oh. Yeah, 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 whatever. So what was I doing though, right? I had hopes and I had dreams. I had desires on what our future would be like. And let me tell you, so when you get married, right, tradition, right? More often than not, inside of our, our marriage traditions, uh, on the wedding day, we do something called a send-over gift. You've heard of a send-over gift before? Okay. And so when the bride is getting ready or the groom is getting ready, a lot of times in our culture, we will send over something that expresses our love or captures that moment or whatever you want to do, okay? In that moment, I sent this, right? I had been compiling things for a long time, and I put it together, and I sent it over to her, and that's what I was doing, right? The reality is... This was my box, right? I was sending her all of the things that were inside of my heart that were about me. And as romanticized as I had made it to be, I had these ideas of what a future would look like, but it was mine. These were about me. This was what about I longed for. And so we all have a box. Every one of us have a box. And inside of it is our hopes and our dreams and our desires. And from where I sit... From my vantage point, I mean, this is perfectly reasonable. Like everything that's in here and the way I see it, man, I don't understand why everybody would not want to build their life around what's inside of my box. But here's what I quickly learned, and if you've been married for a little bit, you learned this as well. Is she has different stuff in her box, or he has different stuff in his box, right? And, and, and so from their vantage point, everything is perfectly reasonable, that why wouldn't you want to build your life around what my hopes and my dreams and my desires are for this relationship, right? And so inside of our relationship, we go and we, we, we do something, and, and we don't, I don't think we consciously do this, okay? But we go into it, and we, and we carry this box, and we bring it, and it's whether it's the wedding day or whether it is, you know, the first year of marriage. A lot of times we're on our best behavior that first few months, that first year, right? And then stuff starts to ooze out and leak out, you know, right? So we carry this into the box, uh, this box into the relationship, and what do we do? Here you go, honey. Here's my hopes and my dreams and my desires, and now make them 
come true. And we talked a lot about this last week. Now make them come true, right? And we hand them over to the other person and we have this thing from, from, again, from my perspective, it's my hopes and my dreams and my desires. But man, on the other side of it, it's a lot more weightier. And see, from my perspective, it's hopes, dreams, and desires. But from her perspective, it begins to feel like expectations, doesn't it? And so what do I do? I hand her this box, and man, it's heavy, it's weighty, it comes with a burden, it comes with a great sense of responsibility. Inside of her wrestles with this tension, or inside of him, there's this sense of pressure. And maybe it's a subtle pressure, but oh my goodness, I might let him down, I might let her down. If I don't fulfill what's inside of that box, that's a burden. That's a pressure. That's something that we carry. And so expectations begin to form inside of the relationship. And last week we defined this together, right? Expectations is this strong belief, this conviction inside of us that something will happen or be the case in the future. And we all go into these relationships with expectations. And it might not be that way in the beginning. I might be okay in the beginning with some expectations not being quite the way I thought they were going to be, but I'm holding on to this idea that one day they're going to become that way. And you know this to be true. It's that hope that one day, you know, right now he's just, you know, that thing about him, like, you know, it used to be something that was okay, kind of cute, and now that we've been married for a little bit, it just kind of, it just kind of gets on. One day he's not going to be that. One day there's an expectation that that's going to, one day she's not going to think that way, or one day it's going to be different, and we go into this relationship and we carry these expectations on the inside of it. Not that we're there yet, but one day we'll be, and it adds this pressure inside of the relationship, and it's left unsaid, right? It's left unsaid, but something festers in our heart. Something grows within us, and over time, it gets larger, right? And let me tell you what's happening when we have those unmet expectations. Let me tell you what's happening. Is the relationship is not what it was designed to be, it begins to take on a totally different form. And this is something that we said last week, that expectations create a debt-to-debtor relationship. Expectations does something. It adds such a pressure. It changes the dynamic of the relationship to the degree to where now there's a debt-to-debtor relationship. And what this simply means is that you owe me this. We go into the relationship, and we think they're hopes, dreams, and desires, and they're really expectations, and we hand it over to them, and we say, you know what? This is what a good husband does. This is what a good wife does, and I expect you to do these things things. You owe it to me. You owe it to me. You owe it to me. Here's my box. Make my dreams come true. And these expectations create a debt-to-debtor relationship. And so let me just kind of give you another analogy of what this might look like and help you understand it a little bit. So let's say this. Let's say that I owed you money, right? So let's say that I owe you money, okay? So you can go to the screen here. If I owe you money, it's impossible for me to give you money, right? And let's just say I owed you 100 bucks, okay? So I owe you $100, and then something stirs in my heart, and I want to be able to give you that $100. When I come and approach you, you're going to be like, in, in your heart, like, well, it's about time, right? 
It's about time that this came up. You owed this to me. I expected this from you. There's a debt and debtor relationship that's taking place. And there's no way when there's a debt to debtor relationship, this will come on the screen, because this debt to debtor relationship makes it impossible to recognize or receive love. When you are owed something, when I expect you to pay me something that you owe me, then there's no way that you can communicate, that you can show me that you love me by paying this to me because this is just the minimum level. This is the standard. This is what I expect you to do. You owe this to me. I expect this of you. And if I were to owe you money, you would expect me to pay that to you. And what happens, and this is where friction begins to grow inside of our relationships, what happens is gratitude is then minimized. So the things that she's doing or that he's doing and from their perspective is supposed to communicate, I love you, you owe that to me. I expect you to do that. And so gratitude is then minimized. And then inside of the relationship, worth begins to be diminished. Expectations are not being met. They're carrying a weight and a burden that you have put on them, that you've added pressure to. There's no way that they can live up to that standard that you have set. And now, when they're trying to do these things, you're not showing any gratitude. And there's this tension that's growing inside of their heart. And they begin to resent the things that are inside of your box. And this is where, when I sit in marriage counseling, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I can point back to these kind of things so many times. It had to do with what our expectations were of one another and how we began to have a debt to debtor and transactions were recorded in our heart where you owed this to me or you didn't pay me this and it fell short here in this way and now I'm holding it against you. And so how do we do this? Here's the question that we should ask. How do you keep your hopes, your dreams, and your desires from becoming expectations? How do you keep your hopes, dreams, and desires from becoming expectations? And I would think any good husband or any good wife would ask a question like this. See, you may not have used language around what we're talking about today that's similar to this, but you will understand this in your heart. And when you understand it in your heart, it should lead you to ask questions like this. How do I keep my hopes and my dreams and my desires from becoming expectations, a burden that I put on the other person in this relationship? And last week, we talked about this simple but profound question, and it requires a bit of maturity for us to ask this question and to respond appropriately. What does he owe me? What does she owe me? What do they owe you? Can you put your finger on them? What have you decided in your heart that you expect that they owe you? What does she owe you? And by answering this question, here's what I'm convinced. If you want happily ever after relationship, title of this series, if you want a happily ever after relationship, you'll learn the answer to this question is quite simple. And we said it last week, if you remember it. What was it? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. Happy couples know that they owe each other everything. I owe my wife everything everything, but she owes me nothing in return. And you would say, Pastor Daniel, that doesn't seem very fair. Well, stay with me. Stay with me as we unpack this. I want to show you some stuff today, okay? So absolutely nothing. She owes me nothing. And this is where, 
This is where marriage begins to look like the relationship that God has with Jesus. Jesus has the ch- with the church. This is where our relationship, as God designed it to be, begins to mirror what it would look like in a heavenly relationship. This is where your relationship takes on the characteristic that personifies who God is. This is where the relationship becomes unconditional love. This is where your relationship takes on this dynamic. And so when the Bible from the very beginning of the book, right, when he said it's not good for Adam to be alone, it's not good for Eve to be alone, I'm going to create a helpmate, I'm going to join them together, I'm going to have two flesh, and I'm going to have them come together, and they're going to be one. When God set this in motion, he was establishing this marriage covenant and this marriage relationship. And so I want to take you into some places of Scripture. We're going to dive into some places I hope And I know that are going to create some tensions in you. And I know they are coming from places of tension within our culture. So let's look at some stuff together today, okay? So last week where we picked up, and this is probably the last of last week, and and then we'll kind of dive into building on this framework that we've established. Last week we picked up where Paul was talking about this idea, excuse me, Jesus was talking about this idea where he was going to introduce something new. And in John 13, Jesus says, a new command I give you. A new command I give you. Say new command. New command. And we read this and we go through our Bibles and we just skip right over stuff like this. But in this time, Jesus, in this moment, he's having the Passover meal. He's sitting with his disciples. He's at the Last Supper. And he's gathered his disciples around that table. And when he says something like this, it should have just made them completely upset. Because when Jesus says, a new command I give you, they should have been up in arms because the only people who could introduce a new command was God himself. And God had already done that through, do you know who introduced the laws of the Old Testament? Moses. God had already done that through Moses. And so Jesus, in this moment, these guys should have just stepped back from the table. Whoa, 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 whoa. Who do you think you are? And they should have walked out of the room. But they had been with him. Peter had already declared him, I believe you are who you say you are. And so Jesus comes on this moment, and he says to them, a new command I give you. And here's what he says. Here's what he builds on. Love one another, to which they would say, well, well, that's not a new command. That's been in place from the Old Testament. And he says, oh, no, no, no. I, I'm not through yet. I'm not through yet. It says, love one another as I have loved you. And every one of them, they had their own personal encounter with Jesus. And if you're a believer in this room, you've had your own personal encounter with Jesus. And he could have, in that moment, he could have gone around the table and he could have pointed out to every disciple and he could have said, hey, Peter, you remember how I found you? Man, you smelled like fish. You were broken and you were busted. You had given up hope. You were lost as can be, Peter. How did I treat you in that moment? And Peter would be like, yeah, I remember Matthew, do you remember what people were feeling about you during that time? You were despised. You were a tax collector. Nobody wanted anything to do with you, bro. Do you remember how it felt in that moment, how I treated you, how I invited you, or I actually came to your house, how I spent time with your tax collecting buddies? And Peter chimes in, yeah, man, that was the worst day of my life, right? 
And he would say to Nathaniel, and this is probably a, a less famous, familiar part of it, he would say to Nathaniel, he was like, Nathaniel, do you remember? Bro, you busted on my whole family. Nathaniel was the guy, he's like, nothing good can come from Bethlehem. He's like, you busted on my hometown and my family and my descendants, my grandparents, my parents. I didn't judge you for that. I didn't hold you against that. And Jesus could have gone around the table in that moment and he says, you remember how I treated you, how I loved you, how unconditional my relationship with you has been? Well, that's how I want you to treat everybody else. He says, as I have loved you, as he's loved you, as his unconditional love has been for you, this is what the new command he gives us, right? To love one another. You must love one another. And so this is often referred to in the Bible as the law of Christ. And if, if theologians were talking about this, they would might define it as the law of Christ. Maybe you've heard that before. And so throughout the Old Testament and even in common culture, and maybe we don't attribute this to the Bible, you guys know what the golden rule is, right? The golden rule? Don't go to sleep on me. Yeah. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Treat others the way that you want to be treated. So Jesus shows up in this scene, and we're introduced to the law of Christ, and he takes it to a whole other level. He says, it's not just do unto others as you would have them do to you. That's a pretty conditional statement. He says, I'm going to take it not to the gold standard. I'm going to take it to the platinum level, right? He says, I'm taking it to a whole other level. There's a new command I'm going to give you, and in this moment, I want you to love people in a way that I have modeled to you. And so Jesus lays it out, and he sets up this new way of living. And this is so strong. This is so impactful for the way that we should do our relationships. And so maybe in your relationships, and it doesn't have to be husband-wife relationships, maybe just in your relationships, you find yourself coming up against pieces of friction. Maybe you'll find in your relationships there's just unmet expectations where you were let down, where they made a promise and, and they just skipped out on that promise, or you thought they were going to do something. Maybe they told you a lie. Maybe they offended you in some way. If you ever find yourself in that situation, I, I want to help you with something. This is just a little, I like things that we can memorize, and so this is going to help you. The next thing that's going to come on screen, if you're taking notes, I want you to write it down, okay? So here it is right here. This is very simple. If you're not sure what to say or do, love like God through Christ loved you. If you're ever in a situation where you're in this tension in the dynamic, and maybe it is with your spouse, and you're not sure what to do, what I want you to do is think back, man, how many promises did I break? How many foolish times did I not respond in a way that I should have, or in anger, or did I let somebody down? And how did God treat me in that moment? This will change everything. If we could learn this, not sure what to say or do, love like God through Christ loved you. Can we say it together, actually? Can we say this together, okay? On three, okay? One, two, three. Not sure what to say or do, love like God through Christ loved you. Let's do it one more time, okay? This is good. Not sure what to say or do, love like God through Christ loved you. Man, if we could live this out in our lives. When Jesus says to us, love one another, as I have loved you, that you are to love one another. How would this transform your relationships? How would this transform your friendships? But how much would it change your marriage and the things that you're harboring and holding against them, the unmet expectations on the inside? What if Jesus treated us that same way? Man, if I'm not sure what to say or do, I'm going to love like God through Christ loved me, right? 
And if we can do that, it changes everything. And so this imperative, right? And let's, let's go back. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. This imperative that's right here, and this is Jesus talking, right? So Jesus is coming and he's giving this new command. And then we see, if you fast forward just a little bit, Paul, the apostle Paul, he comes along. And Paul, in all of his letters, in all of his epistles, whether he's sitting in prison or he's just writing these letters to these different churches, Paul always reinforces this. He doesn't reference back to the Old Testament as much. He goes right back to what Jesus was saying, and he wraps this kind of language in all of his commandments that he's giving. He wraps this around it. And so here's what he's doing. He, he takes this thought process, and he begins applying it to different relationships in his different letters. And then he comes along, and he writes this letter to this group of Christians and this community, this city called Ephesus. He writes this letter to them, and he begins addressing not just a relationship, but the relationship. He begins addressing the marriage relationship. And so Paul starts applying this idea to the marriage. And we're about to go somewhere, and I, and I, I hope you're ready for it, okay? If you're ready, kind of give me a good head nod. All right, if you're ready, say, I'm ready. Okay, I warned you. Here we go. All right, so here's where Paul goes. This is Ephesians 5, and this is verse 22, okay? You ready? Here it goes. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Well, it doesn't get any simpler than that, right? Let's just pray and let's, uh, let's go on home, okay? Man, this one right here, I mean, this verse right here, this is, this is where it kind of gets a little bit thick, right? And, and when you see something like this and this idea that woman is to submit to man inside of here. This stirs something within us. And I'm just going to be honest with you. It stirs something within me that could kind of upset me and has upset me at, at points in my life. I've had conversation with friends through college whose mother would not come to Jesus or have anything to do with the Bible or talk about Paul like he's some egotistical guy because of this verse right here. This is where culture oftentimes gets hung up on this idea right here. And so, so many times we see something like this. Wives, submit to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. And there's this tension that begins to rise up. And I'm telling you, there's a whole feminist movement and culture right now that would point at something like this and be like, oh, no, 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 right? And if they were in the room, they would start throwing something. If this upsets you, if this has ever offended you, you have permission to be offended. If you watch this video online, you're watching right now because you couldn't make it here today. If you watch this online live now or later and you're watching this and you're offended, stay with me over the next few minutes. I want to show you something about this. Sometimes we miss context and I want you to see this. So let me, let me just give you a little bit of history what's happening. And we got to kind of go through some Greek, right? And I, I'm not an expert at Greek, but I understood this, right? In the original manuscripts, the Bibles that we read, right, the Bible that you read, more often than not, you're probably reading an English version of that Bible. It was translated from Greek. And there were original manuscripts, and these are ancient texts, and there were tons of them in circulation in the East. And in the earliest of those manuscripts, there's something missing in this verse. There's a verb, there's a word that's missing. In fact, if you were reading it, 
in the earliest of those texts, this is actually how it would read right here. Wives, to your own husbands as to the Lord. What, what's missing? Submit. It's not there. And so there you go. You can go home. Why, why is it not there? Before I resolve this tension, okay, there was something happening during this time during the context of this time that you, you have to have perspective of in order to understand this. Okay, so in this time, it's written to the church in Ephesus to a group of Christians in the first century. Okay, so Jesus has just been resurrected. Paul's on the scene. He's writing this letter. And here we are. We're talking about the context. Is it's written to a group of people in the first century. And so in this place, in the first century, and Paul comes on the scene and he says, wives, you are to submit to your husbands. We read this and something rises up within us, right? But in that context, that's not the way that it was. That's not the way it was in, in that day and time at all. In fact, this was quite common language. And so while we might be like, what? I mean, come on, Paul, who do you think you are, right? In that context, it wasn't like, huh? It was, duh, not huh. In that context, in that moment, like, Paul, why, why are you even taking your time with this? Why would you even bring that up? Of course wives are to submit to their husbands, See, there was something, there was a law. In that time, in Greek culture and, and in Roman culture, and even borrowed in the Jewish culture, was something called patria potestas. Patria potestas. And what this was, this was a legal jurisdiction. And this gave the man, the husband, and I know you're not going to like this. This gave the man, the husband, legal jurisdiction over all of his children, and guess who else? Over his wife. And in this day and in this time, in the first century, Patria Potestas, she was like property. She belonged to him. And so here, for us, when we see this, this is a huge deal. Wives, submit to your husbands. We get all up in arms and culture is all bent out of shape about this. But in this moment, this was common language. And so Paul is doing something in that moment. And he's referencing something that's happening within the current culture around them. So, so why? What happened? Wives, and there's a blank here. Wives, to your own husbands as to the Lord. And when we fill in the blank, the, the verb is missing. And so this was common in Greek, okay? So I, I know you didn't show up here for this, but this, this helps in the picture and the framework. So in Greek grammar, it was pretty common that when you were having a statement like this and you were in a, a series, a paragraph of sentences of her instruction, you would actually infer the verb from the verse before it, from what was being said before it. And so when we get here in, in their Greek grammar, they would just leave out this verb. And so submit doesn't show up because it's inferred from the verse before it. And so this is verse 22. So what in the world does verse 21 say? Okay. This one gives the framework for all of it, right? Here we go. Verse 21. Let's read this one together. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And here we go again. So you see what Paul's doing. He again ties everything back to Jesus. All of it points back to Jesus. He says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And when he talks about this idea of reverence, and this is a big deal, 
What does reverence mean? In reverence, in this moment, he's talking about honor. He's talking about respect. He's talking about a sense of awe that should rise up within us as we think about God, as we think about Jesus. I stand in awe of what the Lord has done in my life. I stand in awe of how magnificent he is, how powerful he is, how strong he is. I have reverence for him, and I stand in awe of him. And so this awe, this reverence that I have, is actually, it's, it's a form of worship, okay? And so when I have reverence for Jesus, it's a form of worship. And so worship, sometimes we miss this idea. We view it as, okay, I'm going to come into the church like you've done this morning. We sit in the seats and we sing songs and then we, we, we like to pray and then we read our Bible. Those are all forms of worship. But oftentimes we don't take it to its fullest extent. And in this moment when Paul's talking here and he says, submit to one another out of reverence, out of all, out of worship for Jesus how you treat each other, guess what it is a form of? Worship. How I treat you, how I honor you, how I serve you or don't is a reflection of my worship to Jesus. And so when we're in relationship with each other, and, and this applies to every relationship, but certainly within the home, doesn't it? Submit to one another because I worship Jesus. Submit to one another. And so here we are. If you want to know what leads to a happily ever after marriage, and that's your goal, that's your hope, that's your dream, that's your desire, if you want to know what leads to that, man, this is a game changer. This right here, this verse, verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submitting to one another. It's mutual submission, isn't it? And, and, and so inside of this, this is, where we, this is where marriage actually becomes a submission competition. This is when your marriage, and I don't know that you realized this when you went in and you stood at the altar and you said, I do, you probably were so hung up on your hopes, your dreams, and your desires. Listen, Hannah, you're going through premarital counseling with me right now. Hang out on this because I don't want to spend the time. Get this right here, okay? This is huge. When you stand at that altar and you're full of hopes, dreams, and desires, man, oh man, you, what you really need to know is that when you say I do and you enter that relationship, your marriage, especially if it's a Christian marriage, is a submission competition. Listen, baby, this is a race to the end of the line to, to humble yourself, to lowly present yourself. How am I going to submit to one another in my relationship? And man... This is, I don't, man, this, this, that was never a part of this. That, didn't, that wasn't in my box. I didn't understand this. I didn't get it. And so marriage is this mutual submission to one another. It's saying, I am here for you. Baby, I'm here for you. I'm going to leverage everything that's in me, all my gifts, all my talents, all my strength, everything that's, every ounce of who I am. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to leverage all of that, and I'm going to submit and you know what? And this is the key. This is the hard thing about it. As I'm going to do this not expecting anything in return. And if you've been married and you try this and you find yourself submitting in the relationship and it's not this, whew, you know what that feels like in the heart? And it is such a challenge to continue to be the one inside of that relationship that says, you know what? I'm going to submit regardless of what they're doing 
in this moment because my expectations and the reason that I submit, oh, I'm not submitting because you're worth submitting to, right? Oh, no, 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 no. I'm not submitting because you're worth submitting to. Why am I submitting? Oh, it's out of worship for my Jesus. I'm submitting because it's reverence for Christ. It's all of Christ. In fact, listen, let me, I'm going to help you out. And men, I don't, listen, I, I am in this. Women, the reason that we struggle, that you would struggle sometimes with this idea, is because you, you, you don't see where there's a man worth submitting to. And so, like, going into this series, right, I, I did a survey, okay? Thousands of men. I called them all up on the phone before I got here. I called them last night, okay? Thousands. I did a survey. I'm winking at you, okay? I did a survey. And of all of the people surveyed, guess what percentage of men is not worth submission? Guess what it equals? Oh, listen, I, I'm not worthy of my wife ever coming and submitting to. And guess what, fellas? And guess what, ladies? Neither are you, right? It's not the reason. I can't come into it with an expectation that they're going to be worth submitting to. If I put that standard on them, and that's the expectation that they're going to behave a certain way, they're going to act a certain way, it's really now your relationship is about a code of conduct. As long as you do this, I'll do this. Oh, and then we start keeping score, don't we? Oh, but that's not what it's like. This is 100% of the time, regardless, because I submit out of reverence for Jesus. Let me show you another place. I'm just going to jump to this very quickly. you got to see this. This is in Philippians, very famous. I want my children to memorize this passage right here. This is what it says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 through 5. It says, do nothing, say nothing, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility, what are you supposed to do? Value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but to who? To the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And again, Paul's here talking, and he's wrapping it right back. Listen, you're to love one another as I have loved you, a new command I give you. And Paul's bringing it out again in every way that he can in all of the relationships. Here's what it should look like. Submission says to you that I'm going to place your hopes and your dreams and your desires of someone else ahead of your own. Let me say it again. This is the definition in case you need the definition. Placing the hopes, dreams, and desires of someone else above your own. Considering not just my own interests and what my hopes, dreams, and desires are, but actually taking those and lifting them up, making them of higher worth than my own. This is what submission looks like inside of our relationships. This is what it looks like inside of your marriage. And so again, the Bible says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And in this first century, man, you, know, you and I have read this, but this is like, this is shocking. I mean, the men in this time, they would be up in arms just hearing this idea. What do you mean, Paul? Who do you think you are, Paul? And so Paul, he's got to lay out this heavy argument. He's got to come in and he's got to, he's got to talk about all of this stuff. And we're going to dig in a little bit deeper. He's got to talk about all of this stuff. And Paul is brilliant. I mean, as a communicator, Paul does something brilliant in that moment. You know what he does? He starts with common ground. He starts with the common understanding. This is why he began the whole thing with wives, 
Submit to your husbands because you know what the fellows were doing? Yeah, get them, Paul. Get them, Paul. Yeah, get in line, woman. Right? And this is where Paul's at. I don't know why I do redneck voice every time I like. <laughs> Secret country boy. That's right. Oh, man. I digress. So Paul in this moment. He does something, and he starts with this common ground, and he would have had all of the men, the banter right behind him. They're right there hanging on Paul's words. Yeah, absolutely. These wives are to submit. This is what they're to do. So he begins to say this, and he works on this common ground. And let's just read the rest of it in 22 through 24. He says, Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he's the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands. Yeah! Right on, Paul. But what comes next, man? These, these guys weren't ready for this. I mean, Paul's going to drop the hammer. We read it, and we know what's coming, right? You know where this is going, but Paul's going to drop the hammer. They are not ready for this. They have not prepared themselves for this moment. And where does he go? What happens next? This is Ephesians 5, 25. And this is what he says right after he's talking to the wives. He says, all right, ladies. You, you already understood this. You already, you already understood this. Fellas, get ready. Husbands, love your wives. And we read it and like, okay, yeah. Well, I mean, any good husband should love his wife. That's why we went to the altar. What do you mean? Why would this be a big deal? And, and Paul's saying something right here in this moment when he's talking to these guys. He's like, listen, this is setting like some expectations on how I'm, I, I, don't, I don't owe her anything. I don't have to treat her a certain way. What do you mean I've got to love her? I've got no obligation to my, my woman. She has obligations to me. And these men in this moment would have felt this way and this tension would have been here. And he says, oh, no, 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 no. It ain't just love your wives. Like that's, you know, you're, you're just getting, you know, I'm just getting started with you fellas. He says, I want you to love your wives just as. Oh man, these two words right here, just as. If you're ever just studying the New Testament, we could do an entire series on these two words. Just as, this has such implications of how we're to behave, what we're supposed to do. Just as, husbands, you're going to love your wives. Just as, just as what? Here's what it says. Just as Christ loved the church. And what did he do? Oh, man, oh, man. And this is where it gets really like, these guys, I mean, they're in the same geographical area. You want me to do what? Oh, I know, I know what happened to him. I know what Jesus did. It did not turn out well for him. You want me to do what? And so he says, I want you to love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to the place I want you to love her so deeply that you would lay your life down for her. Man, he takes it to a whole nother level. In that moment, in that time, in that culture, these guys, they were ready to fight. They're ready to pick up stones. Let's stone Paul, right? And so in this moment, he's giving them this instruction. He says, husbands, continue reading. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church, and he gave himself up for her. Why? To make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish. Husbands, you're to love your wives as Christ loved the church. You're to love her. You're to protect her. You're to treat her like a treasure. She's to be so valuable in your heart that you're to lift her up before the Lord and to hold her spotless. You know why we have a challenge with submission? You know why a culture would point at things like wives submit to your husbands? 
And I get it, and none of us are worth it. But we have too large of a gap. There's too large of a gap between men living out their part of this deal. It's too large of a gap that we should love our wives in the way that Christ loved the church. Here's where he goes in verse 28. He says, in this same way, the same way he was referring to, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves the church loves, him, loves his wife, loves himself. And so he's having this conversation here, and, and he says, listen, in this way, when you stood at the altar, guess what happened? And, you, and he kind of re- references back what was happening in Genesis. He says, you know what happened? The two of you, in case you didn't understand this theology with Jesus and the church thing, let me just tell you, let me make it simple for you. If you love yourself, well, guess what? When you stood here, two became one, and she's part of you. And that's all he's doing in this moment. He says, if you love yourself, if you have any respect for yourself, if you want to honor, if you, if, if, then you have to treat her in this same way. And so this was such a scandalous concept in this first century. And, and I, and I want to I point at something, and, and we miss this in context I want to show you something, okay? So this is such a powerful truth about submission, and we kind of miss this, is that we might have different roles. We might have different responsibilities, but we don't have different values. I'm not worth more than her, and she's not worth more than me. And before the eyes of the Lord, when he created us, male and female, he created them. In his image, he created them. When he made us, this wasn't like man is now superior to woman. That's not what this is saying, and this is not what Paul is implying at all. Again, he's using a common language, and he's really laying into the fellows of a culture that needed to shift and needed to change. In fact, we get so upset about these ideas of submission, and we push back and we fight back, and entire movements are built around the idea that women are of equal value, And I'm here to tell you that we believe this, that women are of equal value. Just last Thursday was International Women's Day, right? International Women's Day. This was March 8th, and their theme for this was Press for Progress. And I'll say that what Jesus and what was happening in this culture, in this this moment, it's still a work that's in progress, but we believe, our culture believes, probably more than any other culture in the world, that men and women were created in the image of God and were created in equal value. And I just want to say this, that who do you think was the ambassador of equal rights? Who do you think was the forerunner? Who do you think fought for? Who do you think was the first person with any kind of authority in their lives to actually go out and start making a difference? Jesus. He's the first one. And so women, ladies, if for no other reason, if you can't find any other reason to be a Christ follower, the way that he valued you and presented you as a treasure and fought for you and stood up for you and said, you know what? No, 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 no. You've got it wrong, fellas. She's of equal value to you. Jesus was the one. He was the one. He was the one. And so Jesus was constantly arguing for your value. And see, in that culture, in Roman culture, And even in religion itself, here it is. Women were declared as property, but Jesus declared them as precious. Rome and religion, 
And their entire framework, their entire culture was built around this idea that women were property. And Jesus comes along, and Paul comes along, and begins to throw something in the middle of this that stirred up something within that culture that we are still arguing and combating and trying to work out the details centuries later now, aren't we? And so Jesus... At one time, some Pharisees came, and they started asking him questions, and they were trying to trap him. I don't know if you saw this in Scripture. So many times when Pharisees would show up and Jesus was teaching the law, he was teaching the kingdom of God, Pharisees would show up, and they would try to set a trap for him. And one day they come, and they start asking him these questions. And he says, Jesus, we have a question for you about relationships. Jesus, we have a question for you about marriage. And in that moment, they're trying to trap Jesus. I want to show it to you. He says, some Pharisees came to him to test him, and they asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason? See, in this culture and in this time, you didn't have to have a reason for getting divorced. Let me tell you how simple it was. In some religious leaders, and a lot of them were teaching this during this time, if they wanted to divorce a woman, you know what they would do? They simply would declare, they would make a statement, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you. And it's done. Bye-bye, baby. This thing is over. And the woman, because she didn't have any value without the man, guess what she was then? Outcast from the culture, outcast from the society. It didn't matter if you burnt the toast, you forgot to pick up the kids from school on time. It didn't matter if you just came to bed too late or you wore sweatshirts when he wanted. I divorce you. I divorce you. I divorce you. And so this was kind of happening in that time. And these Pharisees come along and they're looking to try to trap Jesus and they're asking him about divorce and what are the grounds for divorce. And Jesus just flips the script on these guys. This is what he does all the time. I love this. Jesus comes in and this is how he responds in verse four here. He says, haven't you read, Jesus replied, that at the beginning the creator made them male and female? Yeah, they knew that. And said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother, and he will be united to his wife, and the two shall become, and they'll become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but they are one flesh. There we go. And then he goes on, and he makes this statement right here, and he's talking about divorce, okay? And he says, therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. And, and these guys in this moment... They're, again, they're up in arms, and, and he's kind of flipped the whole thing on them, and he's like, you thought it was one way, and let me tell you what your problem was. This is what Jesus is saying. He's like, you know, you know what your problem is? Is you think you're worth more than her. You think you're more valuable than her. He's like, oh, no, 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 no. You, don't, you don't understand. You and her, you're one. And so what you're worth, she's worth. And what she's worth, you're worth. You and her, you're one. This relationship, it's one, Right? And what God has made one, no man can undone, right? Improper grammar. <laughs> and so in this moment, Jesus is protecting the dignity and the value, and he's speaking into who women are in a culture that doesn't appreciate this. And ladies, if you look at Scripture, I mean, just read your New Testament. I mean, ladies would, would just come and gather around Jesus everywhere. They would rally around him. They would raise funds for his ministry. They would support his ministry. Jesus spent his time with women in ministry. Who, what gender was the first to see him? So he went to the cross, and then he was resurrected. Male or female, who saw him first? The woman, the two women, they saw him. And this just kind of baffles me, right? So in this culture, like if I was making this story up, 
Like, women's testimony didn't mean anything. Like, if this was a court of law, and I were to invite you, if you were allowed into the man's court to decide what was happening during that time, your testimony as a woman wouldn't have been worth diddly squat. That's something we say here in Pooler, diddly squat. Right? Your testimony wouldn't have been valuable. It would have been dismissible. But we see Jesus, when he comes back, he first appears to two women. And it makes me think, wow, in this time, these people probably didn't even trust the testimony of these two women. But because Jesus valued their insight and their opinion, it's recorded in history. We know it's not made up. We know it's true. Why? Because if we made it up, we would have done something differently with it. And so these two women, they see Jesus, for the first time, and throughout Scripture, God is coming. Jesus is coming, and he says, oh, no, no, no. Men, you've mistaken it. Culture, you've mistaken it. Women are of equal value into this. And so, again, when Paul's talking, he's referencing back to Jesus, and he says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And this was so shocking in the first century, and so shocking that they would have been up in arms about it. But we don't live in the first century. We don't live there. And so how does it apply today? How does it apply to you? And how does it apply to me? And, and I just want to give you some simple framework over the next few minutes, okay? So happily ever after, if this is your goal, if you want the hopes, dreams, and desires that you have for this relationship, if you want it to be happily ever after, this is what it requires. It requires mutual submission. And I know you're only half of that equation. I understand that. You can only be responsible for your part of that submission. And again, if, if, if you missed the definition, here's what submission means. You want happily ever after? Begin placing the hopes, dreams, and desires of someone else, of your significant other, of his, of hers, not below yours, but above yours. Mutual submission leads to our happily ever after. And so last week, last week I gave you some homework, right? Well, it's not very often that we do this, right? I gave you some homework, right? And in, in the homework, it was, it was less to go and do. It was more go and think, right? And, and I hope you did that. So I, I ask you to think about a couple questions. The first one was this. What's in my box? What's in my box? What's in my box? And you need to know what's in your box. And fellas, you have a box. Ladies, you have a box. And, and, so, and I hope you thought about that. And then, then the second question that I was asking you to go and think about for last week was this one. What am I expecting my spouse to carry? What expectations have I then put on my spouse? Have I handed this off? my hopes, my dreams, and my desires, and said, honey, it's now your responsibility. These are the expectations. You owe this to me. Have I done that? And this was kind of that gut check thing. And I've thought about not just my marriage relationship. I've thought about other relationships since then. And for me, it was a process throughout the week of just kind of walking through this stuff together. So am I expecting my spouse to carry it? Am I expecting the other person in this relationship to carry it? And so this week, this week I want to, and this is a little bit tougher. This is a little bit deeper. This was kind of the homework, okay? 
So throughout this series, oftentimes we bring resolution right here in this moment. We'll bring it all together, put the bow on it. But this is kind of cliffhanger series. In each one of these, they're going to build and they're going to end kind of in this moment where you're going to leave and you're going to have some things to process. And this is what I want you to do this week. This is the homework. I want you to ask the question, what's in your box? If you're in relationship, whether you're dating or you're engaged to be married or you've been married 150 years, I want you to ask this question of the other half of your relationship. And I don't mean driving home. I don't mean in a flyby when, when you don't have each other's attention. I want this to be a moment. And I want you to have conversations about what's in your box, okay? So I want you to ask the question, what's in your box? You have the question? Okay. What's in your box? Okay. And here's what I want you to do after you ask the question. This is a two-part deal. I want you to do something. This is going to be difficult for some of you. I want you to stop talking. Some of you, this is a challenge, right? Some of you, this is a challenge. I'm not going to say which gender this is a challenge for, but okay, okay. All right, I've gone to meddling. I want you to ask the question, what's in your box? And then I want you to just listen. Listen to what they have to say. And you know what's going to happen for some of you? Your woman, man, she's going to get so excited She's going to be like, finally, 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 it's not about all of your box. What do you, you care about what's in my box? And some of you, she might be elbowing you. It's about time. It's about, there I go with my redneck voice again. <laughs> I can't turn it off. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I don't mean anything by it. It's about time, isn't it? Right? And, and, and so, ladies, gentlemen, ladies, when you go to ask this question, I'm, going to just, I'm just going to tell you what he's going to say, okay? All right? What's in your box? Nothing. There's nothing in my box. Maybe it's all about, but let me tell you what's happening, guys. Whether you're not aware of it, you might even know, not know you have a box. And I understand. I do, right? We, we aren't that complicated. This whole idea of something unseen and there's a, but let me tell you what's really happening. You do have a box and you did come into the relationship with hopes, dreams, desires. And you probably have given over that expectation. You've probably handed it off. And you probably are expecting them to fulfill it. And whether you've used words or language to frame it like we have today, maybe not. But you have a box. And so I want you to have conversations around this box. I want you to have conversation. What's in your box? And then I want you to stop talking. And I want you to listen. And fellas, this is why. This is why I gave you a head start. This is why I gave you a week to think about it so that you could be prepared for this answer, okay? So have conversation about what this looks like. And this question of what's in your box, this is the all-in question. This question right here, what's in your box? This is the saying, I'm so all-in. I'm so invested in this relationship. Baby, I love you so much that it's not about my hopes, my dreams, my desires. No, I'm choosing submission in this, and I'm going to lift up your dreams above my own. This is, I am all in on this relationship. And let me tell you what's going to happen. Let me tell you what has probably already been happening. And you say, well, Pastor Daniel, I, you know, I see what scripture said. Now, what can I, what can I say? Scripture says that I'm supposed to do this. 
but somewhere inside of you is this wrestling that's been taking place last week and compounded this week. And inside of you is this stirring, this thing. You Like, I, I get all of that, but what you don't understand, Pastor Daniel, and then you have this objection. You have this objection that's sitting on the inside of you. See, you, what you don't understand is, is if I take the pressure off, I don't know what he's going to do. If I take the pressure off, I, I don't know how she's going to respond. I don't know what they'll do. Man, they could take this and abuse this, and they could run with it. And, and I have this objection because I'm just, you know what? I have an objection because I'm afraid. And I understand. This is risky business relationships and what the Lord calls us to do. Man, this is a challenge. I, I, I don't know what you believe about Christianity, but this isn't for the weak at heart. This is places that God calls us to do things that are absolute challenges for us inside of our relationship that I'm supposed to take my hopes, dreams, and desires and put them on the back burner and lift up somebody else's. What happened to me in this? Well, next week we're going to talk all about that. Next week it's all about that. But if you're in this place and you, and you would say, I have an objection, I'm afraid. See, sometimes what happens inside of our relationships, this is what happens sometimes. And your, your relationship becomes a lot like a game of tug of war. And, and, and you got to keep the right amount of pressure in the tension inside of this. And, and our hopes and our dreams are in the balance and they're in the middle. And, I, and I'm gripping this and I'm pulling and I'm keeping the right amount of pressure. And there's this, there, there is a little bit of give and take, but I've got to make sure that it doesn't go too far their way. And so I, I don't know, Pastor Daniel, I, I have objections. I can't submit. I'm afraid that if I let go of the rope, then, then, then they're just going to take it and they're going to run with it in the other direction. And I, I, I can't do that. And so I've got I've to keep the pressure and I've got to keep the tension on here. But ladies and gentlemen, I, I understand this, but this is where it begins. There is no hope until you drop the rope. There's no hope for you in your relationship until you come to this place. That, you know what? I'm not submitting anyway because of what they're going to do. I'm going to submit because this is an act of worship inside of who I am as a believer. And they may, they may, they may, they may just take it and run, but I trust Almighty God that He's going to do something inside on the other half that is for me and protection of me and my hopes, dreams, and desires that He will not leave me wounded and out of it. But there is no hope until you drop the rope. There is no hope until you drop the rope. And so in your relationship, and if you're married in this room, it is one of mutual submission. Your hopes, your dreams, your desires, that's next week. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. God, and as we talk about submission, the maturity of a believer is defined in how they actually submit to your word. And so this idea, wherever we sit with it, whether there's tension in our heart or we've resolved the tension, 
and we understand within context. Wherever we sit with that, God, we know that you love us and that you are for us and that Jesus modeled that we are all of equal value, that you created us that way. And so this isn't one of lordship over another. This is submit to one another out of our worship for you. God, would you help us to do this? Maybe we're not married in this room. Maybe at this season, at this stage, we're just thinking about future relationship of what the one day might would be. And right now we're just identifying what's in our box so that one day when we go, it doesn't become expectation. Help those in the room that are single. God, those of us who are in the room, and I know we have them who are engaged to be married, help them to figure this stuff out so that it doesn't become problematic later on in the relationship. God, those of us who have said I do, who have stood at the altar, who have joined our lives where two became one, God, help us. Help me in my own marriage. Help me to submit. Help me to lift up my wife's desires above my own. Help her to do the same for me. Strengthen our marriage. And God, those who are married in this room, strengthen their marriage. Those who are watching and joining us online today, strengthen their marriage. God, we give you the glory for it. We're in all of you. We have reverence for you. This is an act of worship for you. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen. And in this moment, guys, I know we're talking about these relationships, but I can't go a Sunday without this. And so if you're in this place and you've never come to the spot of actually submitting your heart to Jesus, it begins there. It begins with relationship with him. Listen, he was the first to drop the rope. We as Christians, the tough thing about it is that we have to go first, but he has modeled the way he dropped the rope that while I was still a sinner, that he died for me. He let go of his end, his expectations, not knowing what I was gonna do with it. He gave me choice and he has given you choice as well. We serve a God, a Savior, who has made a way for us. He dropped the rope so that you might have relationship with him. It begins by a submitting of your heart. And so if you're outside of relationship or it's been a long time since you've prayed or talked to God about it, it's simply saying, God, I need you. Using language like today, I submit to you. Have your way in my life. Have your way in my heart. And walk me in relationship with you and you would enter into a relationship. The Bible says that if we would believe in our hearts and confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord, then he would bring us into relationship that we might would be saved. And that's the language of it. And that's the simplicity of it. That is the beauty of the gospel, that Jesus first dropped the rope. And so if you're in this room today and you've never prayed something like that, I want you to come and talk with me. Don't miss this moment. Also, if you're in this room today and you're a married couple or you're going through something or you need healing in your body, this is a place of prayer. We believe in prayer. We believe that God moves in supernatural ways when we bring our hearts and our faith in alignment with his word and prayer is simply doing that. We would agree with you for whatever need that you have and we would ask God to come and meet you in that place. So if you need a healing in your body or you need prayer for something that's going on, maybe it is your marriage, maybe it's not, please come and find me. I'm gonna ask Dave and Carol Mueller. They're gonna be up here as well. We'll be able to pray with you guys today, okay? 